you take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 20, we continue in our study of this wonderful book, um, the series that we have titled The Gospel in Motion, and we have been watching how the gospel has moved from city to city in different parts of the ancient world and to the rest of the world as, um, as we see, uh, chapter by chapter. Last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul's love for the church as he invested himself into planting local churches, as he was committed to raising up men who could teach others also. We saw him leaving Ephesus, and en route he, he visits and he encourages other churches that he had planted, um, serving them and teaching them with, with much love and commitment. But our text today recalls Paul's last encounter with these Ephesian elders. So if you remember, he wanted to get to Jerusalem um, for the day of Pentecost. So in order to do that, he didn't return and stay in Ephesus because that would have delayed him even, even further and he would not, have, would not have reached in time. But instead, he, he calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him while he was in his ship, in the port of Miletus, and that's where we are this morning in our passage in Acts chapter 20. So I'll be reading from verse 17 to verse 27. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I will finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaim, proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we are thankful that we can handle your word this morning. We pray that you would help us to do this faithfully. We thank you for this privilege. And today, Lord, we think of millions of other believers around the world who don't have all of the scriptures that they can read, that they can study, who will be maybe even meeting in secret, in fear of persecution. But Lord, today we openly can meet together in this fellowship hall we can have two or three or maybe even four Bibles, even on our apps on our phones. 
And Lord, we ask that you would please help us, Lord, to not take these blessings for granted. Today we ask that you would teach us and help us to see the significance of this passage. And Lord, that we would not become bored or tired in, in learning more about you, Father. And we ask for your help today, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to your wonderful word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just recently we, we voted as a church to change our church constitution and our church governance from an elder-led um, congregation to an elder-led congregational style of church government. We spent a couple of weeks teaching about this, and I was blessed to see how everyone saw the biblical evidence for us as a church to take responsibility for our church membership and move towards this biblical church government. But today, we take up a study of God's appointed leadership for a local church. And some Christians think that, well, this is not really such an important subject because church government doesn't affect me necessarily. It doesn't affect my salvation. It doesn't affect my sanctification. And they think that this is a, a subject of secondary importance. But I, I hope I will change that thinking today. Today we will see to how wrong this type of, of thinking really is. You know, Sorrel and Sandra, before leaving for Australia, they scheduled a, a meeting with me and asked me to guide them with, with understanding from the Scriptures how they can find a biblical church in Australia. And I was able to sit with them, and we were able to go through a few websites of different churches there, and I was able to show them from the Bible what they need to be looking for in a local church and its leadership. And sadly, many Christians don't concern themselves too much with this subject. And the result is Christians end up in churches that have leadership systems that are completely opposed to what the Bible teaches, and they expose their family to that, and they expose their children to that. This often leads to corrupt leaders taking advantages of their congregations. There was an article I read on the internet about a pastor in Africa, a convict turned pastor who was always verbally abusing everyone in his church, even his staff, um, in the foulest of language. And he calls himself the chief commander of his ministry. And the article goes on to say that one Sunday, he lectured his congregation for 20 minutes before publicly threatening certain men with castration. And he goes on to say, after I've castrated you, you'll be left just admiring your wives impotently. And he called these men cows as he walked back to the pulpit. And the article goes on to say that shockingly the congregation started applauding him when he was using these words and these insults. And there were so many examples that I could have shared with you today, but this is just one of many examples of an unqualified leader leading a confused church without proper understanding of what the local church is and of what a biblical leader should look like. And where this happens, there will be weak and hopeless bodies of believers being abused in different churches. And what we have in Acts 20 in our passage really is a record of the first 
pastor's conference that has ever been held. And at this conference, Apostle Paul gathers the elders together of the church of Ephesus, and he gives them the final instructions as how to lead the Christians in Ephesus when he is gone. So my first point this morning is in verse 17 to verse 19. But look at verse 17. We see his manner here. Verse 17 says that from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So as I said, Paul sends for these Ephesian elders to come to him while he's in his ship at the port in Miletus. And at this pastor's conference, Paul addresses these pastors. And I'm using the word interchangeably here um, on purpose. The word pastor means elder. It's the same thing. But notice this is a very tender it is a very affectionate, it's in a very, it is a very eloquent message that, um, that is, stands out in the whole Bible. And Paul is really pouring out his heart here to his fellow elders. He also defends his own ministry among them because just in a few weeks that he has been gone from Ephesus, his enemies have challenged the Ephesian Christians on Paul's character and doctrine. And Paul defends his own ministry and he uses his own ministry as an example to these elders as how they should govern and how they should shepherd the Ephesian flock during his absence. Now, I hope you understand what an elder is. I hope you understand what the, the office of an elder is. We've spent much time teaching you from the scriptures what the qualifications of an elder are. We have one elder in training at the moment, and I spent a lot of time going over 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 with Tinnus, explaining to him in detail what the qualifications of an elder are. Um, and all the members of the church will vote on this decision to bring um, Tinnus in as an elder at our next general meeting. And as elders, we, we recommend Tinnus to you, and we believe that he meets these biblical requirements. But please remember to refresh your own understanding of an elder from these passages that I've mentioned um, so that you can vote informed. And elders need to be spiritual men who meet the biblical qualifications that we see in these passages. And just because a man may have money or just because he is a good communicator or maybe he's a, a sharp businessman or maybe he is a dynamic personality these do not qualify him to be a spiritual leader. These do not qualify him to be an elder of the church. Elders need to meet the biblical, the biblical qualifications we see in the Bible. They need to be men who are spiritual, people of prayer, men of the word, men of faith, men who are determined to lead the local church according to the, the word of God. And sadly, not all pastors meet those qualifications. And we need to be discerning when we go to churches, when we leave um, the UAE. And all elders of our local church, of any local church, should be able to say the same thing about their lives that Paul says. Look at verse 18. In his own defense, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you. So what is Paul doing here? He's appealing to them to look at his life. 
He appeals to their personal experience of him as he points to his own integrity during the whole time that he was with them. We think of the word integrity and, and the meaning of the word integrity. It's some cinnamon, uh, synonym, so I practiced that and I got it wrong again. We had synonym buns yesterday. <laughs> and I got that messed up, sorry. Synonyms for integrity would include honesty, honor, character, and dignity. And I like this working definition. It says, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is looking. But look at verse 19 there in your Bibles. It says, serving the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. And Paul's enemies were suggesting that Paul was proud. His enemies were suggesting that he was insincere. They were suggesting that he was superficial and that he was a troublemaker. And Paul declares to the elders here, I did not serve the Lord with pride. I did not serve the Lord with arrogance. But I served the Lord in humility and with a desire not to misuse my God-given authority as an apostle so that I would not abuse you in the church. And I think that is the, the biggest, singular, most effective mark of an elder, humility. Remember, the opposite of humility is pride. And the scriptures teach that pride comes before a fall. And nothing can destroy him. A minister of the word quicker than pride. Look at verse 19 again. It tells us, and with tears, and with tears. We notice a few things here. We notice his integrity. We notice his sincerity. And here, his sincerity was not superficial at all. It was genuine. He loved his ministry so much that he shed tears over the people that he had brought to faith and tears over the people who were still not in the faith. Even his enemies he, he cried over. He had a, a tender heart for those who were lost, those who were still in their sin. And he wished that all men and women would come to know Christ as their personal Savior. And we know Paul was a brilliant intellect, but he also had a heart for those that he ministered to. And we see him crying here as a real man, a man who knows Christ will shed tears for Christ and for Christians and for the enemies of Christ. But my second point we see in verse 20 and verse 22, and that is his message. We see his message here. A godly leader is marked by faithful biblical teaching. Look at verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Now, please just notice there in your Bibles, in verse 20, it says, I did not shrink. And then look at verse 27. He uses the exact same word, for I did not shrink. So he's talking in verse 20 about how he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He's talking about the scriptures. And then in verse 27, the same thing. He didn't declare shrinking. He did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. But notice the implication here. Notice the implication here. These things that are profitable are difficult to receive. And they're also difficult to teach. If Paul had been a man who was trying to please other people, a man pleaser, 
he would have shrunk from these truths. He would have dodged these truths. He would have avoided these truths because he knew they were not popular. If he had wanted to be a popular speaker, he would have chosen other subjects. But because he sought to please God and because he knew that these truths were profitable and necessary for spiritual growth, he plainly taught what God wanted him to teach. Be careful, folks. A faithful teacher of God's word teaches the centrality of Jesus Christ. A faithful preacher of God's word teaches that sin is dangerous, that sin is our enemy, and that we are separated from God because of sin, and that we need a Redeemer. Be careful of preachers who just talk about health, wealth, and prosperity. Be careful of preachers who just talk about God's love and never about those things that are dangerously disconcerning to our souls. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the Scriptures tell us we have everything we need for life and godliness. But you know, false teachers will teach the opposite. They will, won't point us to the Scriptures. They won't point us to Jesus Christ, who is the central message of the Scriptures. They will teach that Jesus is on the outskirts, that He is just secondary, that He is on the edges. And Peter says in 2 2 that false teachers will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them. Remember, we're looking at characteristics of leaders in the church. And not all leaders are godly. Not everyone who wears a cross around their neck is a Christian. Not everything that glitters is gold. We need to be discerning. And Tim Challey is a faithful Christian author and blogger. He says that Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps, politicians, or power brokers, but pastors. His priests do not peddle a different religion, but a deadly perversion of the true one. His troops do not make a full-out frontal assault, but work as agents sneaking into the opposing army. He says Satan's tactics are studied, clever, predictable, and effective. And therefore, we must always remain vigilant. Matthew 7 tells us, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And you'll be able to recognize them by their fruits. You know, there are so many charlatans out there peddling the name of Jesus. So many people willing to teach a false gospel in order to make money. In order to make money. And in the process, what do they do? They deceive the people. Please, folks, when, when you leave Abu Dhabi and you leave New Life Church and you find yourself looking for another church, please, please, please make sure the spiritual leader you decide to follow is marked by faithful biblical teaching. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, all the Word of God is profitable. Some of it's profitable for doctrine, which we need, and that is to teach principles and 
Some is necessary for reproof, that is rebuke. And some is necessary for correction, and some is necessary for training. And if all of the Word of God is profitable, then we should be teaching the whole book. We should be willing to, to learn the whole book, the whole counsel. And I believe that's why expository preaching is so necessary in churches, and that's why I'm so committed to it. And what we mean by that is teaching verse by verse through the Bible. Because if we do that, you, know, you can't pick and choose what subjects you, and topics that you want to preach about. And, you use, and people end up using random verses as, a, as a, a springboard for their own agenda. But instead, we preach the whole counsel of God as we preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the whole Scriptures. You know, we've seen a godly leader's manner. We've seen their message. And thirdly, we see their mission. We see their mission in verse 22 to verse 24. Look at verse 22. It says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, it says, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. And Paul was a man on a mission. We know that. He understood it was his duty to follow the directions of God and to safely and confidently leave the results with God. And Paul looked at himself as a man who was running a race, and it was essential for him that he finish the course. His one goal was to break the tape at the, at the end of the race, and he was determined to let nothing keep him from serving Christ, not even the threat of persecution and death. And Paul, of course, loved his life. He didn't have a death wish. But faithfulness to Christ was more important to him than, than life itself. Look at verse 24. He says in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. You know, for Paul, his aim, his goal, his, his mission, his whole life was devoted to the glory of God. His whole life was devoted to honor Christ by fulfilling his mission, by carrying out the gospel which he had been called to do by Christ. And I think, again, we often think of Paul as a this, as this super apostle, the superhero that, that really we can't identify with. But I want to remind you that there's no such thing in the Bible as a Christian without a ministry. Paul was clear on his ministry. But are you clear on your ministry? You know, we have a, a wrong way of thinking, I think, and some people, are, some people think, well, they're super committed, and if they're super committed, then they go into, into full-time ministry, but everyone else who's not super committed, well, we just putter around and we serve the Lord in our spare time as volunteers. We serve the Lord as volunteers. And I think we have a misunderstanding, a biblical misunderstanding. You know, Paul told the Ephesian church that Christ had given the church gifted people, teachers, and shepherds in order to equip the church, the saints, so that they can do the work of the ministry. Now, every Christian will give an account to God 
of their stewardship in using their talents that God had given for God's purposes. And we learn about that in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Now, whether you're a waiter or whether you're an accountant or whether you're a a teacher or a, a carpenter or even a housewife, if you're a Christian, you need to see yourself as being in the ministry, the ministry of the gospel, just as I'm in the ministry here this morning. Ministry is not just standing on the pulpit and, and preaching. It's not just a task or a sphere of, of service. It's a, it's a mentality. It's a way of, of thinking that fills our life. And seeing yourself in the ministry means that, that you're available to God 24-7. You're not just a Christian for three hours a week. You're not just a Christian on a Sunday. You're a Christian every day of the week and available for God to use you to share Christ with others wherever you are. It may mean serving someone in a practical way by, by even meeting a need. It may mean sharing the gospel with an unbeliever or encouraging a believer by listening to his problems or by even sharing scriptures with others. It may mean a phone call. Maybe praying over the phone with somebody you know who is in need. But whatever form your ministry takes, ministry means not focusing on yourself, but focusing on others by being available to God to work through your life. And you won't fulfill your ministry that God has given you if you aren't even aware that you are in the ministry in the first place. But we are. We all are. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'd like to do that someday, but... But right now, I'm just too busy to serve God. Well, consider what Paul says here in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Paul says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Please underline that in your Bible. Constrained by the Spirit. Paul felt constrained. He felt obliged by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem while at the same time the Holy Spirit warned him of the hardships and the trials that he was going to, to face there. In other words, Paul didn't see himself as a volunteer. He saw himself constrained to fulfill his duty. Even despite the problems that would come, he needed to fulfill his duty. In many ways, he saw himself and his duty like a like a soldier would, isn't it? A soldier who's under orders. And he believed he wanted to obey what he believed the Holy Spirit was commanding him to do. And I think all too often we we have the wrong idea. And sometimes the church conveys the wrong idea to their members. You know, that we're looking for, for volunteers to serve Jesus. And we even use that word at times. But the problem with that view is if you can choose to serve, then you can also choose not to serve, isn't it? Or you can choose to quit serving if the service service isn't to your liking. Let's go back to that analogy of of a soldier. You know, soldiers don't have a choice. If you get drafted, you you serve in the army because you were called to serve in the army. You may not like the food. You may not like the the living quarters. You may not like where the army um, sends you to go. 
but you serve anyway because you are under orders. And that's how Christians ought to see themselves. That's how we ought to see, um, see ourselves. The Lord has called us here to Abu Dhabi. He's called us here to serve. And we may not like the weather. We may not like the fact that there's no trees or, or grass. But if Christ has brought, bought us, brought us here and bought us with His blood, then we belong to Him. We are His slaves. And slaves don't choose to serve. Slaves are under orders. And if the service isn't pleasant or, or fun, we're not free to, to quit. We need to finish the course. We need to see ourselves as conscripts, not just volunteers. We need to see ourselves as constrained to fulfill the duty that the Lord has called us to. And fourthly, we've seen the manner of a godly leader. We've seen the message of a, of a godly leader. We've seen the mission. But lastly, we see the mandate. We see the mandate, and we see that in verse 25 to, to verse 27. Look there with me in your Bibles. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Because Paul preached the whole counsel of God, he felt that their blood was, was no longer on his hands. He could not be accused by any man at the final judgment that he had not declared to them the gospel of grace. Now, one of my biggest fears one day, well, is one day when we stand before the Lord and we are to give an account of our ministries and people stand up before the Lord and we're all watching this judgment day and somebody stands up and says, well, the Lord says to him, I do not know you. You are not a believer. And that person stands up and says, well, I've been going to, to New Life Church for so many years. And, and Pastor Gareth over there told me that I'm a Christian. You should let me into heaven. I'm, I'm a believer. And the Lord says, depart from me. I know you not. It's my greatest fear. And I'm determined to declare the whole gospel of grace to people who may not even enjoy the, all the effects of the gospel. I'm determined to declare the gospel of grace as it is in the Bible and not to water it down so that people are, are misun misunderstand the gospel. Now, I have no doubt there are people that are not believers in this room right now. This room, is, as large as it is, there's bound to be someone who's not a believer. And maybe you've even been going to church for so long and you've heard the gospel, but you've never repented of your sins. You've never seen yourself as a sinner. You're never willing to accept that you are a sinner. Well, hear the gospel of grace. Hear the gospel of grace this morning. And the Bible teaches us is that elders and all Christians need to teach the whole counsel of God because God commands it. Because it's necessary for the salvation of men. Without the, the gospel being preached faithfully and biblically, people will go to hell. 
people will go to hell no matter how many Christian crosses they put on their neck. You may not be gifted to preach and teach God's word, but our directive and our mandate is to grow in the whole counsel of God. And whatever gift God has given you, we need to share this truth-saving gospel with others. But let me conclude this this morning. As I mentioned earlier, this passage records Paul's last encounter with the Ephesian elders. And it is a good study of what characteristics to look for in a godly leader. But this passage is not just for elders. I think the application here is for every one of us who call ourselves Christian. Now, I once read the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application that asked her, are you a leader? Both Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, no, I'm not a leader. And she returned the application really expecting the worst. And to her surprise, she received this letter from the college. It said, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveal that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is essential that they have at least one follower. <laughs> you know, we cannot be good leaders in our homes. We cannot be good leaders in our workplace. We cannot be good leaders in our church unless we are following the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And the first command that Jesus gave to His disciples was to follow Him. And the same is true for all of us. Are we following in His footsteps? Are we growing in our manner? Are we growing in our godly character? Are we serving the Lord with humility? Are, are you growing in love and concern for others? Are you growing in your steadfastness in trials? And are you committed to God's Word? Are you teachable? Are you taking advantage of the teaching opportunities that we give you as a church, in our family Bible hour, in our home groups? Are you coming alongside other believers and helping them be committed to the Word of God? And like I said, we may not all have the gift of, of teaching, but we need to be growing in our understanding and applying of God's Word to our lives and sharing what we've learned with others, even our children and our brothers and sisters, and our friends? And are you growing in your faithfulness? Are you running the Christian race that God has set before you? Are you determined to let nothing keep you from God's service? Maybe you think, well, Pastor, I've really, I've, I've grown enough. I know enough. And that's why you, you don't attend the, the home groups. Maybe that's why you, you don't attend Family Bible Hour. But let me encourage you from the words of, of Paul this morning. Look at his characteristics. Look at the characteristics required to be a godly leader. We need to be growing. We need to be growing in our walk with the Lord. We need to be teachable. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will help you apply these truths to your own work to your own walk with the Lord for His glory and for all of our joy. 
And if you're not a believer here this morning, then really this message doesn't apply to you. This message was for those who call themselves believers, those who are born again, those who have been bought with the precious blood of Christ, those who are believers. And perhaps you're still wondering and still searching, and you look at these qualities of a leader, and maybe they excite you. And maybe you're confused. And please come and speak to us. And let us show you from the Scriptures how you can be saved. We will partake shortly in the Lord's table. And again, this table is for believers, those who are born again, those who are slaves. And it's a time for us to examine our hearts to see whether we are truly committed to God's calling for us in our lives. And I hope this will be an opportunity for us to confess our sins and to get right with the Lord this morning. But let's pray, and then we will sing a short song of response, and then we will have our time in the Lord's table together. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Father, I'm sure all of us fall short in at least one of these areas. And we know, Lord, your word tells us that we've fallen short and we've fallen into sin because we are sinners. And if we say we are without sin, your word tells us that we are liars. In fact, we call God a liar. And Lord, I'm sure it's the most, it's the most unnatural thing to do is to admit that we are sinners, is to humble ourselves before a holy God in light of the word of God, in light of your holy word, and to confess that we are sinners. And we need the Spirit to help us to do that today. We need the Spirit to work in our hearts, Lord, and we need the Spirit to bring us to conviction this morning. And we pray that He would do it, Lord, for Your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.